Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Amaster, and I'm a pastor here. I love that I have like front row sitters in this service. First service is like anywhere but the front, but this... This service, you're my favorite. All right, well, anyways, welcome. My name is Aaron. I'm a pastor here. If you've never been before, you'll notice we're a bit different, but we want you to know we're still true to the Bible. We take God very seriously here, and we want to encourage you to take the next step in your relationship with God every week you're here. We're in our last week of our series that we're calling Identity, and in this series, we're covering a few specific things. Firstly, we're looking to the Bible to help you find your individual identity as someone who follows Jesus, or at least is mildly interested in him. In addition to that, we also are talking about the identity of this church, sharing why things are the way they are here. Because if you haven't felt it yet, the vibe's a bit different here than other Christian churches. But why? Why is that the case? I mean, there's like 30-some Christian churches in Fond du Lac. Isn't church like just church, right? It's just church. Firstly, a church isn't a building or a Sunday service, but it's a group or a community of believers in Jesus. Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, it says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. It's saying church is God's body. Jesus is the head, but the people who represent God here on earth, the church, is his body. Later in scripture, we see just like there are different organs and parts in the body, we are all a different part and have unique gifts and functions and stories as part of a church. So no one here is without a purpose. So in the world and Fond du Lac, there are multiple bodies attempting to be led by Christ. Of all those churches on that map, like generally speaking, we're like 90% the same. Like we probably have a majority of the same core beliefs, like the Bible being our authority. These are from our, our beliefs, but the Bible being our authority and without error. Seeing Jesus Christ as the Son of God who came and gave his life for us. Most churches, they value the same stuff, producing committed and growing followers of Jesus. People who pray, read the Bible, worship, give, and serve. Like, if I was to compare churches to brownies, right? Like, underneath here, I got, like, some brownies here. Uh, if I look at a box of brownies, there's the same stuff in it, basically, of every brownie. Like, first off, you need a box, right? Because those are the best. I've talked about this every week of the series, but the best brownies are box brownies. And then after that, the ingredients are the same for every brownie. Egg, oil, done, right? Those are brownies. Yet after the main ingredients, everyone seems to add or put a little extra in. Like it could be maybe chocolate chips or frosting or syrup or whipped cream, whatever it maybe is. And that extra stuff or extra emphasis matters, Like, what else you put in, even if it's just a little bit, it still matters. Like, if you're not intentional about putting good in and someone said, I just want to let you know a fingernail fell off in the batter. (laughs) You're not eating the brownies, right? Like, you're not eating them. Now, I'm not saying churches do intentionally do bad things to their services or add fingernails or anything like that. I'm just trying to show the extra ingredients one would add intentionally or not to church, it matters. 
We as a church have intentionally decided how we prepare and what our toppings are when giving the 90%. And since day one, it's been being positive, relevant, and real. These are part of our church's identity. We have signs. We still have signs. You can take one with you on, the way, on your way out if you'd like. We gave like 50 of them away. Um, this is the last week we're giving it away, but that could be a way to invite your neighborhood. But we have the 90% that every Christian church should, but we also are positive, relevant, and real. We've talked about so far in this series the ingredient of positive. We talked about the ingredient of relevant. Today it's the ingredient of real. Now, we've seen these be effective in fulfilling our mission and vision as a church, which we've talked about in the previous weeks, but our, our vision is to be a church that reaches on church, and our mission is to help people take the next step in developing their relationship with God. But we've also been spending time seeing what Scripture says about these ingredients, and being real is absolutely one that we can see done in the Bible. Today, Before we specifically dive into our biblical passage and our ingredient of real, I want you just to do a self-reflection on your realness as a person. The definition of real is, if we look at that second one, it's not an imitation or artificial, it's genuine. So real is authentic, it's genuine, not an imitation. Now, I think there's an even better way of describing real, though, that another prominent pastor calls being hot. Do you think I'm hot? I'm not asking if you think I'm attractive, but hot as in what, the, what Pastor Michael Todd defines as humble, open, and transparent. Humble as in being a place that doesn't inflate themselves, open as in honest and willing to share, and then transparent as in letting in on what's fully going on. It's a pretty great depiction of someone who is authentic or genuine or real, right? So we're going to ponder, as a church, are we real Or are we hot? And also, as a Christian person, are you hot? On a scale of one to five, like one being never, five being always, how real or hot are you? Do you feel, as a Christian, you can be hot? Do you feel comfortable being hot at this church? How often are you making sure you are hot? I just got to pause here for a second because, like, if you were just listening to a few second segment of the sermon or just walked in recently and you heard me dropping the term hot like this, like rate yourself how hot you are. You'd be like, I knew this place was weird. It's extremely confusing, right? And maybe even a little offensive, especially when five's the highest. Like, come on, really? All jokes aside, we want to be a church that is humble, open, and transparent and is full of people like that. We want to be a place that shares with humility that being a Christian isn't easy. And sharing that, and that we are all just trying to figure out how to follow Jesus. Nobody here is perfect. We want to model openness. Like, we all have flaws, myself included, so everyone is welcome here. And then transparency and helping you seek Christ no matter where you are at in your struggles, because anything can happen with Christ. At this church, if you've been coming and somehow you miss seeing that through the messages or the community here, you've either been sleeping through my messages or you've been completely disengaged from this church. Because from stage, you've heard the struggles of just me alone trying to figure this all out. Like, how it's been a struggle for me to live without judgment on others. How it's a struggle for me to not seek revenge or forgive How I attempt to be generous with my time and finances and epically fail. 
my own struggle of prioritizing personal time with God and reading scripture daily. You've heard how choosing to be disciplined and not be a glutton or have that extra drink for fun is hard for me at times. All these things are extremely hard. And I hope when we reflect on it here, you don't just get the statement from stage here of like, well, just do it. Or have the idea that obedience to Jesus is just like a child song. Like, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We don't just say, just follow Jesus and love him and make changes because the Bible tells you so. Don't get me wrong. The Bible does tell you Jesus loves you. And it also tells you don't lie, don't seek revenge, be greedy, don't be a lover of money. That you should be forgiving and generous and honest and patient. Are you those things? All the time? No? Well, the Bible tells you so. What I'm trying to show you is this church gets it's not easy. As a church, our teaching isn't just, well, this is what the Bible says, so just do it. I mean, I want that obedience from myself, and I want that obedience from you too. But if we're real, no one is immediately perfect with these things after just hearing it. But the realness comes in from showing you the Bible does say these things and helping you start to see that the Bible should be authority in your life and trying to respect its direction. But then as you start doing more of it, we want to help you see it takes steps. It'll be a journey that's hard and we'll have setbacks, but it's one that's worth it. As you think about you today, would you say that's where you're at with maybe some faith things right now? Are you on a journey of living some out, maybe experiencing ups and downs? Would it be nice to know that you're not alone in the struggle to actually do it? I want to assume yes, which is why we always attempt to be as real as we can here at this church. Today, we're going to talk about why being real or hot is a character trait every Christian should embrace. How it's where real transformation from Christ comes from. And how a church being set on being real could be one that leads sinners or people like you and me towards continuous transformation in Christ. So again, are you feeling real? I hope so, because it's going to get, as Nelly says, it's going to get hot in here. Don't finish that song, because it's definitely inappropriate. But now that I have your attention again, I want you to know I am going to try and be as, as humble, open, and transparent with you to help you see it's worth it today. If you were here last weekend, we looked at two different guys. We looked at Jesus, and we looked at Paul. When we looked at Jesus on realness, He's just not that fun of an example to look to because he's perfect, right? He's perfect. Again, if you were here last week, he's like the dude perfect, guys. Like, he doesn't mess up. It's like every shot, bang, it just executes it perfectly. Boom, perfect. Sure, he encounters any, everything that we do as humans because he was a real person, which is helpful. I mean, Jesus, we can see that he's one who experiences real emotion, he experiences real temptation, real fame, real criticism, real experiences of highs and lows, relationships, loss and betrayal, exhaustion. And we can see all these things and look to how he handles them for wisdom. But he's God, so he's perfect at them. He experiences real things that we do and has the perfect right response every single time. So if you want to know how to handle some of those things, 
Read a gospel, uh, John or Luke or Mark or Matthew. Read an account of Jesus to learn from him. But Jesus shows us how to live out God's standard for all of us. And at times, it's annoying. It's like the annoying perfect brother that I never had. Or that person at school that just always has the right answer. Because as in you and me, we aren't him, nor are we fulfilling things like he did. But then the other person we talked about last week is Paul. Paul is more like do decent, the parody of the dude perfect guys. Like, they get close, but they miss the mark. Like, it was, a, it was a good attempt, but yeah, no, it didn't go in. Paul is probably the closest, most diehard person who attempts to become like Jesus, yet he's still not perfect at it. And you know what? It actually makes me feel a little bit better about myself. Because Paul, Paul's a big deal, right? And he's still not great. In Scripture, we see Paul attempts to be at the standard God wants, but struggles. And we see this because in his writing in the Bible, he's humble, he's open, and he's transparent about it. As in, Paul is real. We're going to be bouncing around in Romans 7 all morning today, but I want you to check out a little bit of Paul's confession about these type of things in chapter 7, verses 14 to 17. I'll read it for you. It says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Paul's pretty real here, right? He says things like, I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. I don't do it or follow through. And I do what I hate. Paul's real. At this time in Romans, like, he's not this new Christian either. Like, He's not just someone figuring it out. When he wrote Romans, he's been a Christian for about 22 years. He's been basically a full-time pastor or mature Christian at the time, which brings a ton of experience. He's preached to a lot of people, and he's seen some amazing miracles done by God. Yet he still says, even though I know what God wants, as in I know the law or the commandments God desires, I still do wrong. I think this is Paul being real. But specifically in this moment, being humble or the H of hot. Again, Paul's humble. And this might make us think, how great can this Christian guy be then? Like if he's like not great, how great can he be? He's just decent. Yet I want to remind you, he's the apostle Paul. He wrote like a lot of the letters in the Bible. And I want to give you a little background on him at this point. Like Paul, he had a blinding conversion moment personally with God before this. He led and converted hundreds, if not thousands at this point. He had a vision from God to preach. He experienced his persecution and still goes forward. He traveled over 7,000 miles for mission work. He planted at least 14 churches. He's like the greatest Christian of all time. Yet he still says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. That's humble. Are you like that as a Christian? It's not easy to do. The second someone starts declaring, I know, 
or I'm good enough in my own ways, or I don't even need to hear you out because I know you're wrong and I'm right, or even I'm not that bad in God's eyes compared to other people. These are common thoughts and phrases, but if they are you, you've lost your humility. You've lost your realness that Paul models for us. It sounds so harsh when I say it like that, but it's a really easy slope to get on. I remember uh, when I first started ministry, uh, almost 12 years ago now, um, I was right out of college and I thought, I know, I know things, right? That's how I felt. And others that don't think my way, you're just wrong. You're just wrong. I felt I knew how to explain like the creation of the world perfectly for anyone and talk down anyone who thought differently than me. Wrong. I had a lot of debates and we ended heated. Uh, I thought I had a great explanation for the Trinity of how like Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are all one. And then I started explaining it to people and realized I don't have a great explanation for it. I thought my interpretation and views of how to handle money and sexuality and grief and time were the only best ways until I realized I was wrong. (laughs) It's easy for Christians to lose their humility and start acting this way. I'm going to show you a little parody of what it maybe looks like when you lose your humility and you take yourself maybe a bit too seriously. Check it out. Hey, as far as I'm concerned, this Saturday night, there's not even going to be a fight. Derek is very rude person. Basun, he will learn manners. I'm going to dance around him while he tried to hit me with his cane. Oh, man. God chose me for this fight. When I squeeze your lungs, Derek, and you beg me for life, then your heart will open up to the Lord. Wait. What did he say again? That God chose him. When you are paralyzed from neck down, then your family will gather around your hospital bed to see the new day. Okay, he, he know we just talking here, right? Now, there's a difference between confident faith and just being blatantly wrong and prideful. And you can see the lack of humility with that one fighter, right? God never wants us to be prideful. Matthew 23, 12, it says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus wants humility, yet it's easy to lose it, which means it's easy to lose our realness. When I was in a seminary, there was like a lot of angst and frustration amongst churches and church with the other 10 or so people that were in my cohort. Uh, And I get it because like I felt it too. Like I'm speaking on my own behalf here, but when you're like in that academic world, it's really easy to become snobby. It really is. Like it's fun to read about theologians all day. It's fun to spend hours and hours on scripture alone. It's fun to analyze it and study it. It's fun to have these heady discussions about what the church and God's people should do and be like and how they should change. And then just critique everyone and every church out there that does it differently. That's basically what we did. And almost everyone in my cohort was like, the church is just off. The church is off. They were either fed up with it, they didn't like the way churches tried to reach people, and on and on and on. Granted, the church isn't perfect. And I would say it has drifted a bit, in my opinion, from from Scripture in a sense. But I, one of the ten people in my cohort, as in me 
and one other is actually still a pastor today. And it's extremely sad because these were all really great, devoted people. But instead of abandoning the church, instead of being set on having these heady and unrealistic expectations for churches and people, instead of complaining and just leaving, what if you tried to stay the course? What if we embraced this position of humility stating, this might not be the perfect model of how to do church, but it's been effective in growing people towards Christ. It's a step in the right direction. It's not making people perfect, but it's taking you and me closer to Christ-likeness. So I guess to be real with you, when I planted this church, that's what it was all about for me, like taking you and me closer to Christ-likeness and being real along the way. Again, I've graduated seminary. I I have the degree a pastor should. I've studied the Bible a lot. I've worked at a church 12-ish years, and I've been a Christian for much longer. But I'm going to be honest. I'm not the smartest person. I'm not. I'm not the most knowledgeable pastor in Fond du Lac. I don't know Greek or Hebrew or anything like that. If you're looking for a church that has one of those things, I want you to know that will never be what I can offer you. Honestly, that just isn't this church. But what this church is, is hopefully you get to see that it's real. We attempt to be the most real we can, or at least humble in its approach to its things. I try to be as real or hot as a pastor on stage can appropriately be. It's awkward for me to even like talk about it like this way because it feels unhumble to share it this way. But I hope that you see the humility comes from simply being people who just want to help others get closer to Jesus and start following him better. I tell you all this and put such an emphasis on the H in this message because being humble is actually the prerequisite to being a follower of Jesus. There aren't a lot of prerequisites, but humility is essential. Because to be a follower of Jesus, to experience eternal life, to experience salvation from God, you need to humble yourself and say, I'm not good enough on my own, God. I can't do it. I need you and your sacrifice and your forgiveness. I mean, it's truth, but it's also real. Have you expressed that? Have you maybe lost your humility as a Christian in in feeling that way today? Maybe right now, You want to become a Christian, or maybe you need to restate your humility to God. If you go to God and you tell him you want his direction, that you can't do it on your own, that you need him, you could be a Christian today. That's essentially all you need. And as I say that, like some of you might be like in the room who are Christians, you might be like, that's not good enough to become a Christian. No. I mean, some of you maybe grew up in a church where it needs to be an exact sinner's prayer. Like, like there was Billy Graham's prayer that maybe you're used to, or the Romans Road going by the verses. Or, or maybe in the past, like from your experience, like you feel to be a Christian, you need to be confirmed or do certain actions or take classes to have a relationship with God and to, to finally be forgiven. But Jesus shows us in a parable, it's more about the heart than exact words. It's more about the heart than completing classes or church affiliation I want to read it for you. It's in Luke, and uh, we read it a few weeks ago, but we'll pick up in verse 10. It says, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I, I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this. This is Jesus speaking. This sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Realness is humble. As you heard how we attempt to be a church that's, that's humble, how about you as a person? For you to start being real and humble, do you need to maybe start listening better to people? And not write them off right away if it contradicts your views or your beliefs. Is it maybe serving someone who you don't think deserves it? Is it maybe choosing to not just be a criticizer, but choosing to partner where you see it being done better than anywhere else? The next thing I think we see from Paul uh, do in his confession in that Romans chapter 7 is he is open. Paul is is Paul, right? Like he gave a lot to follow Christ and he basically starts from the bottom and gets to the top if there is such a thing in the Christian world. But Paul has followers. Leaders look to him. People respect him. And for him to be open about his struggles is risky. It's risky. It might mean a loss. In today's world, that loss, it could be followers or subscribers or attenders or givers or supporters or employment even. When Paul is open, he puts himself in a vulnerable place. Again, if we go back to Romans 7, but a few verses earlier, it says this. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I would not have known sin, but through the law, for I would not have known lust except that the law had said, thou shalt not covet. In this passage, I think we can make an assumption that Paul has struggled with lust. Eh. Do you want to know that about your leader? Or your teacher? Or your pastor? Would you respect them still? Are you still open to learning from them? I mean, it worked for Paul, but what about today? If you hear right now that I struggle with certain things, does it ruin some of your respect for me? I think it could. And I think, before I go any further, I think in some situations it should make you consider where to go as a church. Like as a church, we base the calling of a pastor and an elder here on what you see in 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 7, and then also Titus 1 verses 6 through 9. And it says things like a church leader should, should have a solid marriage, they should their children should be believers. They should exercise self-control and be gentle and live wisely in a, and be above reproach and like 20 other things. These are actually what we're covering in our, our midweek leadership, leadership session this week on Tuesday and Wednesday. If you are interested in hearing or learning more about that, you can attend, sign up online. But these are some of the standards we as a church use for leaders here. No one's perfect at all of these by any means, but these are things you can generally expect from your leadership here. In addition, for a pastor, like the leadership team ensures there is never any sexual or financial misconduct or biblical heresy, which means teaching that's contrary to the Bible. So these are things you can expect from me or a pastor here. Again, as best as we can be. But besides that, whether you like it or not, 
you hear on, from stage, I'm not perfect and have a lot of my own personal struggles still. Some, some struggles that aren't with me anymore. Like when I first became a Christian, it was sexual sin. It was greed. It was pride. It was revenge and jealousy and gluttony. Those were in my life. You maybe hear like, them from me in a story, and I share on stage, but they are part of my dirty laundry in the past that I'm not proud of, but I'm open with them about it. And then today, I've matured from those things, and I'm growing, but I still struggle with things today, like desiring things that are ungodly. I have habits I don't think are amazing. I wrestle with a lot of worry that robs my peace which in two weeks, I'm kicking off a series called Peace of Mind, and you'll get to hear probably the most open I've been about my own anxiety-filled thoughts uh, in that first week. It's our Fondy Fest, so bring a friend or a family member to it um, that maybe is struggling with that. That could be just a really great week to bring someone to, but that's in two weeks, so check that out. But to be real with you and open with you right now on something I'm struggling with today is I have tried to change my morning habits a lot. There are like three that are super important to me, and I would assume they're probably similar for you as well. I want to work out, I want to read scripture, and I want to make sure I take in water right away, check my water intake. Yet after I like start all these three up, usually only one lasts. Any guesses on it? Which one lasts? Working out. Can't you tell? <laughs> you might be like, good for you, Aaron. But I hate it. I hate that that is the one I choose to stick with. Sure, I get my water intake from like the amount of coffee I drink. Sure, I get my reading uh, scripture from the work I do. When I work on a message or a series at church here, like I'm reading scripture all the time here and I'm preparing for things. But personally... For my own personal spiritual growth outside of work, what it's showing me is I value fitness more than I value my time with God. I hate it. I hate it. Now, this is me being open about my current struggles, along with a lot of others that you hear basically every Sunday. But I share this, and, and as a church, any teaching that comes from stage or faith or story or event always is open because we are all flawed. We all have struggles, that is for sure. But to hear it from stage, I think is extremely important because it should help you be more open and addressing it and sharing it personally with others. So for you, are you open? Like, do you let others in on what maybe you're struggling with? It helps others know you're human, and a perk of it is, is it keeps you accountable more. Like, did you know, like, when you're humble about your flaws and then open about what you're doing, you instantly have accountability. You do. Like, it's this little motivator. Me telling you my struggle right now is this motivator that is going to make sure that I'm reading the scripture personally, right? It's like right in the mix. And you can ask me about my water drinking later, too. Um, but, but you can darn well bet that I'm going to start changing because I'm open about it. Thank you for the opportunity to confess in front of y'all. I like it. But James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You've heard why we're real and open as a church and some of this, but do you need to be more real and open as a person? 
do you need to confess so that you may be healed? For you, what would that be? What do you need to be open with to be healed from? Maybe for you right now, it's a personal struggle with judgment or gluttony. Or maybe it's a struggle with giving or finances. Maybe it's your desire that you, you want to come to church more often, but your lack of motivation in the morning, it just it slips. Maybe it's trust. Maybe it's negativity. Maybe it's a sexual sin. Maybe it's like the secret sin no one knows about or worry that's tearing you apart. Who can you confess to? I want to get real for a second here and kind of pushy for a moment, but I challenge you to confess something today. It could be to your spouse or a friend or a family member or neighbor, but confess it and then pray for healing. And then let's also pave the way for helping others see real struggle. It doesn't disqualify a Christian. It's just open and real. The last thing we see from Paul is he is transparent. When I think of transparency, I think of this scene from kind of like one of my all-time favorite movies as a kid growing up. It's very short. Check it out. It was me! It was me. As silly as this maybe is, he's humble, right? He's open and transparent. He's not holding anything in. Literally. We see this with Paul, though, as well in Romans chapter 7. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 21. It says, I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. You see, Paul's not holding anything back here. He's laying everything out on the table. How we try to do that as a church is we hope that you're able to experience transparency here. Like every other month, we usually do a church update on where we're at with things, what we're missionally trying to do, our financial update, our attendance, our successes, our losses. We are transparent about why we do certain things and not do certain things. We've even done this whole series, Identity, because we want to help you have a full glance at what CenterPoint's all about. And I hope this transparency allows you to see so many reasons why we, we have unique, weird videos that are relevant to maybe a younger generation, why we're so positive about people simply taking a step to come to church for the first time in a long time, why we're so honest on stage. But the one I want to end with today on is why we're so crazy, in a sense, about you, an attender here, attending on Sundays, serving, and joining a life group. I want to be real about each just briefly. Like, when you attend here, you get the 90%, but you also are reminded of the positive, the relevant, and the real that you probably don't get anywhere else. When you serve here, you contribute to making it happen for others, as in you help grow that. But when you are in a life group, this is where you actually have an opportunity to be real, to be transparent. I don't mean to be bash uh, or harsh about the church that I founded, but I'm going to bash this church for a second. It will never be easy to be transparent on Sundays alone here. It won't. 
There's just too many people here. There are. There's too many people here. How do you realistically do that as you're passing in and out and in such a short period? Last week, you heard, we want to get bigger too. We want to be a bigger church. Not because we want to be the biggest church, but because the need in Fond du Lac is huge. I'm sure you heard the saying before, more money, more problems. It's true. It really is. It's also true with more people, more problems. Just so we're clear for a second, I don't work on commission. What I make is what I make here. To grow brings more problems for me and more headaches for me. (laughs) But the incentive to grow is because so many people are disconnected from faith or church here in Fond du Lac. And we don't want that for anyone anymore. We are obsessed about growing and will keep pursuing it which will make it even harder to be known personally on Sundays, which is why life groups are so important. Life groups are 10 to 12 everyday people that get together during the week that are like you, that are unsure about church, they're maybe unsure about faith, or they don't really have a ton of knowledge maybe about the Bible. They don't even know like a lot about this place, but they want more of it. They are people who are willing to try and build meaningful friendships by studying the Bible a bit and just intentionally trying to create friendships with other Christians who laugh and have fun and like you would anywhere else. They meet in people's homes. Some meet here at church. Some have childcare. Some not. And they're offered different nights of the week. They launch at the end of this month. But a life group, that's where you experience a real church or real people. That's where you can be transparent. But not transparent as in just doing a trendy buzzword, oh, transparency, they're transparent here. Or even doing it as a mandatory thing. I mean, you might, for the first time or for the first round, just show up to a group and feel like, I ain't saying anything to these crazy Christians in this group today. That could be a step for you, though, of just showing up for this first round. But doing life groups and being transparent to do the openness and experience the healing that Scripture tells us can happen when we're open, and then attempting to choose and do it continuously so that maybe more like engage and follow suit with what you're doing and attempt to be humble, open, and transparent at the same time when they maybe never would have considered it prior, and then maybe they get to experience real healing and freedom that comes from it as well, all because you took a leap of faith to be hot If you want to help create that for another or want to experience that for yourself, don't delay. Sign up for a life group. Fill out a connect card today. Write on on that card that's in the seats in front of you, like what day you could do it. Put it in the offering bin and it comes by. And I'll reach out to you personally and help you connect with a group that I think would be a good fit for you. We can talk. No strings attached. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But I'd love to help at least get you set up with a group. As I close today, I hope that you see that we are real and hot here. And we want you to be too. Which one are you set on doing more as you leave today? Being humble, being open, or being transparent? Would you pray with me as I close this? Hey God, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us a clear example of, of first off, Jesus like modeling what it looks like to live and follow you. And then God, thanks for giving us Paul. Someone that's kind of messed up, but God, we can see that he's real. And we want to be real too. Help us be humble this week. Help us be open. Help us be more transparent. We want more people to know you. And we want more people to experience healing that comes from that. So help us start that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.